Hey, my name is Vince. I'm one of the other pastors here. Delighted to be with you. Uh, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to continue on the series that we started last week. And so if you weren't with us, quick snapshot, go back and listen. That's the best way possible. Um, I would encourage you, if you're familiar with the Bible Project, to watch the Bible Project video. You can find it on YouTube about the book of Exodus. It'll introduce you to the first 18 chapters of this book and gives us kind of a good starting point and introduction of stuff we'll talk about today. So um, you'll see people here. They're going to bring Bibles to you. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hand up. We want you to follow along with us. Uh, this way you know what we're saying is actually in there. We're not just putting it on a screen. So if you don't own a Bible, you do now. It's a free gift to you. Enjoy that. Slip it up. And one of these awesome interns. Actually, let me this is uh, our first Sunday for our new intern group. Will you guys thank them and welcome them as well? They're amazing. We're excited they're here. Now let me start uh, with, with kind of an illustration for you. And uh, what I want you to do is, as soon as you know what I'm talking about, feel free to, to call it out, okay? Uh, so, you, so you have this, this young boy. Um, he's out with his parents one night, and they get caught in an alleyway. Uh, and, and someone comes to rob them, and uh, his parents are murdered, Okay. So then he is, he is forced to go and then can live with his butler. Okay, anyone? Batman, right? So that, that's Batman. So uh, how about another one? So um, there, there's kind of a, uh, not as young, but maybe a high school student. He's living with his aunt and uncle. And uh, someone say Superman? Spider-Man, that's right. So that's Spider-Man. We, 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 get, we get it. I'm not going to do any more. Here's the point of that whole silly illustration. If you don't realize, Exodus chapter 2, what we're going to look at today, it's the origin story of Moses, Right? Like, like this, if you've heard the name Moses, whether you're a Christian, you're not a Christian, maybe you grew up doing the church thing a little bit, you've probably heard the name Moses before. Like a pretty massive character played by Charlton Heston in the great Ten Commandments movie, which like probably 11 of you in this service know about, right? Um, but Moses is like this great hero. Exodus chapter 2 is his origin story. It, it's, it's, we get to see where he comes from and why he seems to want to go in and take these people out of captivity in Egypt and bring them to the promised land, which is the story of the book of Exodus. And so this is what we get to unpack together. Now, there are numerous themes throughout this book. We covered a bunch last week by way of introduction. I'm going to give you on the front end what we're looking to come out of on the tail end of this one. Believing full well that when we look at the story of Exodus, we are not just looking at someone else's story, we're looking at our story, right? Church, we have been, if you're here and a Christian, you have been grafted into the story of the people of God with which we find and read in our scripture. So when we see the story of Israel, you're seeing your story. And so what can we learn? What can we uh, understand? And then what can we apply to today? And the main theme, the main idea would be, what does it look like for the church in 2019 to look at the boldness, and hear me, the kind and faithful love of the people of God and the people in this story, in Moses' origin story, and then say, how do we now live in that faithful love that we might fulfill the mission God's given us, okay? And so that's the idea. So let's, let's jump into the text. Um, I'll come to that in a moment. Okay, so this Exodus chapter 1, verse 22 is the backdrop for chapter 2. And so let me reread. If you have your Bible out, if you have your phone, that counts. Look at Exodus 1, The verse says this. Pharaoh, okay, king over Egypt, commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. But you shall let every daughter live. So the backdrop of Exodus chapter 2 is that Pharaoh, the king over Egypt, is trying to commit genocide against the Jewish people, okay? 
He's trying to rid an entire race of people. You guys understand physiology, right? Like if you remove all of one of the genders, then eventually they die out. And so he says, listen, I want to rid of the people of Israel. You know why? Because they're growing in influence. They're not one of us. They're foreigners in our land. They're not citizens. They're not assimilating well. They keep their own customs. They don't do what we want them to, and now they're too powerful. So let's get rid of them. That's the backdrop for Exodus chapter 2. Now, the reason why this faithful love theme is going to then permeate through this chapter and then into us and why I think it's so important we focus on it today is because it's something that our culture and our world right now sorely, sorely needs. Faithful love. Now, if we could for a moment just try and characterize a general understanding and sentiment of our culture today, I don't see faithful love. I, I see what I've entitled pessimistic agreeableness, okay? Uh, I don't think we see faithful love. I think we see pessimistic agreeableness. agreeableness. So, and so in other words, pessimistic in the sense, it's just there's, all, there, there's this lack of hope. There's this constant critique. There's this, you're, don't, you don't think the way I do, and so that's not good enough. And so there's this constant belief that it's all broken, it's all a mess, and then someone else is part of it, okay? And then agreeableness instead of love, because let's be honest, we love people who tend to love us back. And we tend to love people that agree with the things that we believe and say. We don't tend to love the way the scriptures speak to. And so uh, in the most classic passage, like if you're engaged, you're probably going to use this at your wedding. But 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says this, Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, that's not the love that we often see in our world today. Love that lays it down. A love that's sacrificial. Okay. And so hear me. When we get to the end of today, my hope is this, that at best together, because we are a community, we are the people of God, we would seek to embody and live out this faithful love together. We'll fail, all that, that's true, but that will be a desire of the people that call Redemption Church home or whatever you call home, that we would live that way. And then that faithful love will be based on the scriptures, not based on some cultural, ever-changing dynamic and definition of what that means. Okay, so here we go. Exodus chapter 2, that's intro. Let's jump in the text, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took from a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And the sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. Because, she said, I drew him out of water. Now, again, this is the foundational story for why Moses is alive. Okay? And his origin story is, is our origin. Like, if this doesn't happen, we're not here, right? And what we're going to see is this continuous 
movement of faithful, loving women predominantly in this, in this passage that step forward and in faithful love save the day, if you will. And that's a beautiful reality, right? It's so amazing. And so let's look at the first one. I want you guys to think through if you're a parent, even if you, if you don't have kids, so anyone can, can, can ascend to this, right? If you've just heard that any boy born to a Hebrew woman must be killed. How scared are you when you get pregnant? So you come together, you find out you're pregnant. And maybe you find out a couple months in, right? It's not modern medicine, so it wouldn't have been as known, right? So a couple months in. So just wonder, for, for seven months, they're beginning to wonder, will it be a boy? Right, like this moment, let's be honest, like, it's a celebratory moment, right? When you find out you're pregnant, it's a celebratory moment when you find out the gender, now we can do that, okay? But for probably seven months, whatever, eight months, whatever it is, right? She was wondering, like, if this is a boy, like, they're going to take our kid. Like, if this is a boy, our child will be killed. Like, just the, the fear that would grip me, and I assume was a reality for them. And then you fast forward, they get, they get to the nine months, they give birth, and they look at the child, and it's a boy, right? And again, just the fear that all, I mean, in anticipation, will it be a boy? Will it be a boy? Will it be a boy? And it was. And so, and so then just imagine the gripping fear of like, well, what do we do? Like, they're going to take and they're going to kill our child. And so they hide a baby for three months. And this question I will ask to parents, how well does it go when you try and hide a child that was just born? Like newborns, right? this, everyone knows this, they just cry, and then they poop, and then they cry, and then they eat, and then they cry. And this whole time, the mom, Yochebed, I think that's how you pronounce her name, is trying to hide this child until it was impossible no more. So in an act of bravery and faithfulness and love, she takes this child, puts him in a reed basket, and floats him down the river. Now, I just want to point something out. Now, in order to save her child from impending and certain death, she has to risk her child's life. Like, she does something that, that maybe we're, like, we would herald this moment. Like, the bravery and the faithfulness of Jochebed to save and to, and to say, like, God, this, this is for you. But notice, I mean, and, and I'm not going to, I'm going to make it explicit for you. It should be there. The things we're willing to do for our kids we might even put them at some risk because we know that the present risk is too great. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 12, talking about Moses. It's this great faith chapter. Sorry, in Hebrews 11, it says this. Uh, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Okay. So we would assume fear. I would assume fear, but there was no fear. Instead, there was faith. You see, you see that? Like, in, in this reality, this beautiful reality of, man, that would grip me. That would move me to real fear. Like, they're going to take my child. But it was not fear that drove her to hide him. It was not fear that drove them to keep him. It was faith that there was something else going on. Potentially that, that, that God, right, was, was in control, that there was a better story. There was hope to be involved here. So fear did not grip them. Faith had gripped them. And so bravely and faithful love, this child was saved. 
Now moving on to the next female rock star from this chapter would be Moses' sister Miriam, who at great risk to herself follows this reed basket down the river and probably passed a few signs that said, do not trespass, okay? Like probably moved into courts and areas she was not supposed to be and then would even cross into the courts to speak to Pharaoh's daughter on behalf of Moses. Now, we don't know if she went up and said, hey, that's my brother and uh, the mom's back. We don't, we don't know any of that. But at great risk to herself, you just don't start walking into courts. You can't just walk into the White House, okay? Like I, I was in D.C. a couple months, uh, it was like a few months ago for a, uh, a board meeting thing I was at and um, that thing is heavily guarded, Right? Like, you just don't go walking into the White House. You don't go walking into Pharaoh's courts. And so Miriam, at great risk to herself, in order to care for the other, she goes in and she advocates for him. Okay. Now, the third amazing, we, I kind of moved it along. You had kind of like a uh, woman who crushed it, female rock star, and now lady champion. Pharaoh's daughter is now this next woman that steps up and in bravery and in faithful love chooses the right thing. Because she finds this baby. And hear me, again, the edict had gone out. She's the daughter of the king. Surely, right, she would obey her father's commands that everyone else is supposed to listen to. But no one said she sees this little Hebrew child and she chooses to spare him. Again, at great risk to herself. She goes against what she's told, etc. You get it all. In faithfulness, Miriam approaches and again, this Hebrew woman comes into their courts while she's holding a Hebrew child, a people with whom her father is trying to oppress and snuff out. And what does she do? She chooses to save this kid's life. Miriam says, hey, can I get you, can I get you uh, someone that can help nurse this child? She's like, I might know somebody. Right? She runs and gets her mom. And Yochebed comes back and then gets to nurse baby Moses for four years and get paid to do it, which is like, look, if you grew up breastfeeding, what if I gave you a stipend to breastfeed your children? Like, yes and amen. Okay. This is the craziest story. A king who's trying to commit genocide on a people. A family who, in fear, we thought, has a baby. A sister who's willing to go into the courts to follow her little brother that she doesn't really know to risk her life, to go into the courts of a daughter of the person who's trying to kill everyone and that comes together to save this child's life. God orchestrates a better story than we could. Like, what an author to write this out in the world, that he would raise up this man that would deliver his people. Now, we're going to circle back to some of the beauty of the depth of that reality towards the end here. But already we begin to see this movement and the faithful love of the people in God's world brings about the will of God. Brings about the care for the oppressed and the care for those who need care. Okay, so let's keep going. Verse 11. Now we get this, we're covering this whole narrative. So again, it's kind of this whole origin story. There's a massive gap between the end of verse 10 and verse 11. So if you're wondering, this is going to fast forward about 40 years. and say when Moses grew up, um, we don't know a ton about what, those 40 years look like. So you can just refer to the Prince of Egypt and that'll give you a decent idea, right? So my guess is, is him and Ramses, they just drove chariots around the kingdom. Like that's probably what happened for 40 years. And then, uh, and then yeah, then we get to verse 11. So here we go. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. Okay. 40 years have passed. 
You've got Moses, who now we know, at some point, he found out, I'm not an Egyptian. Now, now we're, not, we're not sure, did, did that come in the, in the first four years, right? Because, I mean, you can learn some things. So did he know, right? Did his mom tell him? Did Jochebed and the family, like, no, you're one of us. And then he was taken into the Pharaoh's courts. So did he know from that age? Or was this something that he was continually taught? But we know he was raised in the Egyptian culture, okay? But that he knew he was a Hebrew, he knew he was an outsider. He knew he didn't belong in a certain sense. And so one day, he goes out for a walk, and he sees this continued oppression of his people, and it had just become enough, right? And again, we don't, we don't know why necessarily, because this oppression was going on his entire childhood. What finally snapped for him of like, I got to get engaged, I can't watch this any longer. I need to engage with the oppression. I need to press into caring for the oppressed. I can no longer stand back. And so utilizing his stature and power, we see these two stories that absolutely change his life. Verse 10, 11 continued. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. So these two interactions now, again, he's come out, God, ultimately, right, doing work in his heart. He sees with his eyes the oppression of his people, and he responds finally. And he enters into this first story. He sees an Egyptian beating one of his people, and so he strikes down the Egyptian, right? So uh, this is not when you see oppression, kill the person and hide them in the sand type of message, right? This is when you see oppression, you move towards it. And you act. No, no this, this wasn't a great decision on Moses' part. So this is, this is a descriptive action, not a prescriptive action. In other words, don't read it and say, I'm supposed to do that specific thing. See it as, this is what actually happened. It's kind of shady. He looks around like, can I kill this dude without getting in trouble? Like Moses, the hero, sneakily comes in, kills a guy. Not a good thing. Okay, let's just make that really clear. But that's what happens. But you begin to see there's this, the, this reality of oppression coming into the fore for him. I have to do something. He acts out. This is what happens. And then he moves on to the next story where he sees now two of his Hebrew brothers having an argument. And he chooses to intervene. What, why are you doing that, man? Don't, don't hurt each other. Why are you all fighting? Why are you all bickering? And then they bark at him. Dude, who, who made you king and judge over us? Right? Who made you ruler? Why do you get to come in and say that to us? Which, just as a side nugget, not the main point of our story, but that sounds a bit like, like the church today, right? When we come in and we try and say, like, hey, hey can, can, I don't know if that's right. I don't know if the way you're treating each other is really good. And then it's like, shut up, leave me alone, okay? Who are you? It's like, it's not me, it's, it's the scripture. So that's a side nugget. Don't be that person. God doesn't like that stuff. Don't do it. Okay, so... Um, he enters that story, who's made you king and judge over us? And here, I'm going to tell you right now, this is a foreshadow of the coming 40 years in the wilderness. Okay? You might know that eventually the people get out, they go into 40 years of wilderness and, and travel, and, uh, and, and this is going to just kind of come over and over. Moses, I, I know God appointed you, but really, why, why are you doing this? Okay? And so a foreshadow in that moment. Now, um, Hebrews 11.24 tells us this. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated 
with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Okay, so, so what, what moves ultimately the actions behind Moses' journey away from the pleasures that were the kingdom of Egypt? Again, raised as an Egyptian in their courts, that dude was set. Security was there, finances were there, transportation was there, home was there, whatever he wanted was there on the drop of a dime. And so why, why, why would he forsake all of that? And the answer we learn is faith. In other words, faith in that, he knew something was off. It wasn't necessarily this driving and massive faith in Yahweh or God at that point. God, you're clearly... But in his heart, he begins to realize as he looks upon his people and looks at these two things. Okay, there's this, this overwhelming power dynamic of wealth that's trying to destroy a people. And then there is the oppressed. And I'm over here, and that's not right. And so in faith, he moves towards the oppressed, forsaking the thing. So hear me, over and over, faithful love will require you and me to open our hands and begin to let go of stuff that we think we have to have. There, there's just, hear me, there's just no way around that. that. That doesn't mean you can't have a nice thing. You can have a nice thing. But we have to begin to navigate with intentionality the priority of the loves in our life. We've talked about this here before, so if you've been at the church, if you've been here for I don't know, it's probably been a few years since we talked about it, but you've been here for a few years, you're going to hear this illustration again. But for me, it's been so helpful. But you have like a hierarchy of loves in this world, in our own life. And that's, and hear me, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's a good thing, and here's why. There's certain things that you're allowed to love. So just uh, name something that's not a person that y'all love. Go ahead. A dog? Someone say a dog? Yeah, dogs are good. Those count, okay? Don't say cats. Those don't count. But dogs, uh, dogs are good. What else? Ice cream, that's perfect. We're going to stop right there. That's a great answer. So, um, David, yours was good too, but ice cream's really low tier. Okay, so um, what's your favorite flavor? Moose tracks. That's what the peanut butter and stuff like that? Like in the little cups and stuff? Dude, that's strong. Okay, so, um, so moose tracks ice cream. You can love moose tracks ice cream. That's absolutely fine. You just can't love it more than people, right? Which, which is obvious to you, right? You're like, ah, I'm not going to do that. But, but let's, let's get into our home. Okay, uh, let's get into our bank accounts. Let, let's get into the clothes we wear, the things we possess beyond just ice cream, which again, great illustration. So we, we love these things. And hear me, it's not wrong for you to love your home. But it's easy for us to say, like, I would never choose Moustrax ice cream over Bayani, right? Who's my guy, okay? I would never do that. But is that true for all these things that we consider possession? Is there not this reality that maybe we could all go to the room and say, gosh, man, I'm going to be honest, I kind of care about this a little bit more than the person I showed up here with. Okay. And we know that through function, how upset we get when we lose it, how, how tightly we cling to it, even at the expense of the people and humanity around us. So again, okay to love, but it's got to be bottom tier. Then you move up, right? What comes next? People. It starts the people hierarchy, right? Which starts with friends. Okay, so like I, I'm going to care about Jeff more than I care about my stuff, right? But, but Jeff, I love you to death, but I'm going to care about my kids more than I care about Jeff. 
and, and sorry to my kids, but I'm going to care about my wife even more than I care about my kids. No, 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 hopefully you see where this pyramid is going, correct? Like, like who's at the top of the pyramid for just the most rhetorical question ever, but I want you to answer. Jesus. Jesus at the top of that. Now, now here's the big issue, right? Is it's okay to love these things. When they become misordered, we begin to have problems. When, when all of a sudden, Jesus is finding himself submitting to your bank account. When all of a sudden, Jesus is finding himself submitting to the right way we treat people, even. Uh, there's a mix-up. And, and hear me, that's not the faithful love we talk about here. We're going to talk about Jesus in just a moment. We're going to really slam it home and home run with him, because that's where you land, right? Um, but this is the type of faithful love that we see embodied in this chapter that, that creates the origin story of this hero that God raises up to deliver his people. So uh, let's go on and continue into uh, verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's, father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them, watered their flock. And they came home to their father Ruel, or Jethro, as he's also known. He said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian. Okay, so they mischaracterize him a little bit here. But an Egyptian, he's from Egypt. An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, and where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Hebrews, again, verse 27. By faith, Moses, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Again, he didn't... Like, so this transition to Midian... Moses moving to Midian, giving up and forsaking all things. I think the initial thought is he thought he was going to die, so he's out, okay? Now, there's certainly probably some of that, but by faith, he forsakes all that and moves into this foreign land. Now, hear me, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This movement towards what is the ultimate driving force for Moses, and it was seeing that which he could not see, which is, which is the definition given us in, in uh, oh geez, the, the great definition in the New Testament about faith. I can't remember what it is. Moses moves away in faith, not, not knowing where he would land. He, he, he didn't know, like, oh, I'll go to Midian. I'm going to meet a family. I'm sure I'll get a wife and child out of this, Right? Like, there was not this promised deliverance to come. There was not this, okay, if I make this decision, there is greatness and security and life waiting for me. It was, no, I'm just leaving this stuff because I got to go. So in faith, he believed and moved towards a path that was somewhat uncertain. Why? Because it was just the right thing to do. Because faithful love calls us to do the right thing. And, and he, he hear me, even like, let's be honest, like that, the right thing to do, it just, that's just lost some of its power. Like we, we generally could care less about doing the right thing. We just want to do our thing, usually. 
It's not true for everyone, and, and, so, and that's a, we make decisions that are good, and I get it, but on the whole, we make the decisions that are right for us. We kind of need to reclaim, like, do the right thing. Why? Because it's the right thing, and to not do it means you're doing the wrong thing. And that's okay, hear me, that's okay for you to think that there's right and wrong. There's a right way to handle it and a wrong way to handle it. We choose the right way because it's the right way. Because our Lord, Jesus, has so defined for us the way we live our lives in faithful love and obedience. And that's the right thing to do. So church, do the right thing. In faithful love, we move forward into the work that God has called us. Namely, to really move towards and into caring for the oppressed, the marginalized, and the hurting. That, that's why this exists. It's, it's not for, it was, there was, <laughs> someone came up and we're just like, hey, <laughs> it was Tessa, she's the best. Hey, Tessa. And uh, she came and she said, doesn't sound like a funny sermon today, Dad, when she walked in earlier, okay? And I love that. Because sometimes there's plenty of room for that. There's plenty of room for fun in this space, okay? But there's also these realities of like, hey, we got to take real stock of where we're at and say, are we going to allow? And there's a reason why we're coming pretty hard the first two weeks of Exodus. I think this book and the work of the Spirit has a tremendous opportunity to form us as a people for the mission he has, us, has for us in the city of Flagstaff or wherever you call home. But it's not just going to like come because you sit here, Right? It's not just going to come because, well, you heard me say it, or you heard Anthony say it, or you heard a great scripture reading, or you heard the band play a song that sounded like it's something you should care about. It's going to be because we move and press into our Savior. And the byproduct of pressing into Jesus, hear me, you're going to want to start being like him. And that's like a buyer beware situation. The more you love Jesus and fall in love with Jesus, the more you're going to want to act like Jesus. It's true of every relationship in your life. The more deeply I fall in love with my wife, even though there's stuff that I'm like, there's no way I'd ever care about that. I now care about that. Why? Because I love her. And it changes me. You get this last little passage here in verse 23. It says this, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, hear me, and God knew. Praise God. Like, you can read past that so quickly. Please don't. We don't have a lot of time left, but can we just sit in the fact that God heard his people he saw his people and he knew his people. Some of the realities of what I think the church is called to, it's stuff we've been trying to unpack in the last weeks if you've been with us. Um, and hopefully we're unpacking every time we open up the scriptures. Some of the stuff, right, that God's calling the church to, like we've taught, it, it requires sacrifice and it's not always pretty, the destination. Like there's gonna be, like we talked in Philippians, this willingness to enter into suffering, how is that possible for a bunch of human beings to actually do that well? Only if God hears us, sees us, and knows us, and comes to be with us, and that he has. 
Now, maybe you've thought about this before, but even just camping out on the beautiful reality that is the life of Moses and the life of Jesus, can we just look at him for a moment and let's talk about his origin story? Okay, Herod, or, sorry, not Herod yet, we're getting there, right? Pharaoh decrees, we're going to kill all the boys. Let's get rid of them. Moses is born. Jesus, Herod decrees, we're going to kill all the firstborn. Jesus is born. Moses, born in obscurity and hidden away. Jesus, born in obscurity and hidden away. Moses has to flee to Egypt's capital in order to be saved. Jesus, as a refuge, has to flee to Egypt to be saved. Only to have both of them what return at an appointed time to be equipped and sent to deliver a people. This, all of it, hear me, and this is why I'm so jazzed about this series, why we're being a little like heavy-handed on the front end is I think Exodus, it's supposed to build this beautiful tension and anticipation of we need and want Jesus. And hear me, when we need and want Jesus, we become like Jesus. And when we become like Jesus, we fulfill the mission of Jesus. And when we fulfill the mission of Jesus, we walk in joy. And so this is the power of what God, I think, will do through his scriptures and through community, through our seas, through hard discussion with one another, and honestly, just through you guys opening up. And and we've said this, we really heard it last week. Don't let let these 45 minutes be the only time you're reading Exodus over the next semester. We'll we'll finish this, and we'll we'll, we'll come up to Advent, and that will take this whole semester to go through the book. Guys, make sure you're reading this thing with us. Return to it, be in it. I promise the Lord will be faithful to us. And that's where we land. That in every story of faithful love, let us not forget the only reason we have air to breathe, why we exist today, why we could worship, is because of the faithful love of Jesus, who forsook his kingdom in heaven, forsook all things, forsook the wealth, moved into this mess lived the life that we could never live, died the death we deserve to die, was raised on the third day that we might be raised with him to be the people of God for his mission in the world. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we remind our hearts again in prayer that you would, and just ask you and implore you, that this week the Spirit Holy Spirit, would you remind us of your faithful love to us that just kept coming and kept pursuing and kept trusting in the work of the Spirit, God, to transform a stubborn people into a people that could be faithful to bring your gospel to the world. God, we thank you for Yochebed and for Miriam, for Pharaoh's daughter, for these women that chose faithful love and saw out the story you were writing. We thank you for Moses, God, for the faithfulness to his calling, even amongst his stubbornness. And Moses, one day I'm sure I'll see you, and I'm sorry about that. But God, we thank you for these these people that are in our family and in our story. God, would you, through conviction, through your word, through community, God, would you, uh, would you not let us off easy? And would you form in us, corporately and individually, God, a greater desire to move in and press into your mission, to care for the hurting and the broken, 
to care for the oppressed, and to care for every aspect of the world you have called us to cultivate and have dominion over. Jesus, please help us. We love you. Help us love you more. And it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.